Blog Talk Radio.
Greetings, this is Abayomi Azikawe, and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine that's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. Today is Friday, uh, January 5th, uh, 2024. We're broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in once again to yet another edition of the Pan-African Journal, this special edition of our program. Later on, uh, we'll be bringing you our regular Pan-African Newswire report. We'll have dispatches on the address delivered by Hezbollah leader uh, Sheikh Saeed Hassan Nasrallah on the situation on the border with Israel. Fighting continues to rage uh, in the Gaza Strip in Palestine. The Iraqi government uh, has once again demanded the exit of United States forces from the country, and Iran says it has arrested several suspects in the bombing, which occurred earlier this week. And in the second hour, we listen to the address uh, of the Lebanese resistance leader, uh, Sheikh Hassan Nasrallah. Finally, the upcoming MLK federal holiday will celebrate the 95th birthday of the martyred Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., these and other features will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program. Stay tuned. Uh, we'll take our musical interlude uh, in the Democratic Republic of Congo with the legendary uh, singer Mpongo Love. Let's listen in. <laughs> Yeah. 
Hey, 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 hey,
Thank you. 
Democratic uh, Republic of Congo, a collection uh, of tracks uh, from that uh, outstanding uh, singer. And right now we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of uh, the Pan-African Journal. And our lead story uh, deals uh, with the address that was delivered uh, earlier today uh, by the Hezbollah Secretary General Saeed Hassan Nasrallah. Uh, He spoke uh, during the memorial service of top Hezbollah official Mohammed Yagi and pledges a response to the Israeli violations of Lebanon's sovereignty. The Israeli occupation's assassination of Hamas Deputy Politburo leader Saleh al-Aruri uh, in Lebanon and uh, Beirut is a flagrant and dangerous violation that will not go unanswered. Hezbollah Secretary General Saeed Hassan Nasrallah uh, said on Friday uh, during a televised speech Speaking uh, during the memorial service of former Lebanese member of parliament and executive assistant to the Secretary General of Hezbollah, Mohammed Hassan Yagi, <clears throat> Saeed Nasrallah, underlined that Hezbollah cannot remain silent on a violation of this magnitude because it means the whole of Lebanon would be exposed. Speaking on the accomplishments made by the resistance on the Lebanese front, against the Israeli occupation in southern Lebanon and the purpose for opening it all together. Saeed Nasrallah stressed that the resistance and Lebanon as a whole are today before a historic opportunity to liberate every inch of our land and establish a balance of power that prevents the enemy from once again violating the sovereignty of our country. And in other news uh, taking place, Palestinian resistance groups are fiercely confronting Israeli invading forces on Gaza's southern axis of Khan Yunus, with no signs of intensity of operations declining. The Palestinian resistance in Gaza engaged in fierce battles on the Khan Yunus axis earlier today, uh, carrying several significant operations 
targeting Israeli invading forces, El Mahadin's correspondent uh, reported. Hamas El Qasim brigades announced in a statement that its fighters successfully targeted an Israeli infantry unit positioned inside a house with three Wadia anti-personnel mines, resulted in casualties among the Israeli soldiers in the area of Al-Zanah, east of Khan Yunus. The group also said that its fighters shelled an assembly of Israeli military vehicles in the city with mortar shells. You're listening to the Pan-African Newswire segment of uh, the Pan-African Journal. Iraq's uh, Prime Minister Mohammed Shia al-Sudani says his government is forming a committee to prepare arrangements for the permanent dissolution of the occupying U.S.-led coalition's mission in the country. Sudani made the announcement in a statement uh, earlier today, a day after a drone strike on the headquarters of Iraq's popular mobilization units, also known as the Hashad al-Shaabi, in eastern Baghdad killed three people, including a commander of the Nujaba resistance movement. Government uh, is setting the date uh, for the start of the bilateral committee to put arrangements to end the presence of the international coalition forces in Iraq permanently, the Iraqi prime minister's office said in a statement. The committee was reported to include representatives from Baghdad and the occupation coalition. We stress our firm position in an ending the existence of the international coalition after the justification for its existence have ended. Sudani was quoted as saying in the statement, the deadly U.S. attack on Thursday raised the ire of Iraqi resistance group, which called on Baghdad to end the presence of the coalition in the country. A group of Iraqi lawmakers also demanded the expulsion of the U.S. ambassador. In a strongly worded statement, the Iraqi premier denounced the United States for the drone strike and stressed that the attack was a dangerous escalation and a violation of Iraq's sovereignty. Iraq has slammed uh, the United States for a drone strike on the headquarters of its popular mobilization units in eastern Baghdad that killed three people, including a commander of the Nujaba resistance movement. And finally, Iran's interior minister, Ahmad Fahidi, has announced the arrest of a number of suspects in connection with the terrorist bomb attacks on January 3rd in the city of Kerman, where over 80 people were killed. Speaking to reporters in the southeastern city earlier today, the minister said Iranian security forces have found solid clues leading to the whereabouts of the perpetrators of the terrorist attacks. Bahidi uh, said Iran's intelligence and security forces have full control over the issue. All the elements involved in the terrorist incident will be definitely identified and arrested, the Iranian minister stated. On Friday, Iranians held a mass funeral for the victims of the bombings. A top military commander pledged during the event that the security apparatus will find the criminals behind the carnage wherever they are. A funeral procession was held in Kerman for the victims of the Wednesday terrorist attack. 76 Iranians, 13 Afghans were among the dead. The explosions uh, were carried out near the burial site of Iran's late anti-terror commander, Lieutenant General Qasem Soleimani, during a ceremony marking the fourth anniversary of his martyrdom. In a statement a few hours after the bombing, leader of the Islamic Revolution, Ayatollah Saeed Ali Khamenei, said the perpetrators will face a fitting punishment and a harsh response.
with that, uh, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of uh, the Pan-African Journal. And concluding this segment of our program, we'd like to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998. Since then, it has published tens of thousands of articles and dispatches uh, in numerous newspapers, hundreds of newspapers, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. If you'd like to have access to today's Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast for Friday, January 5th, uh, 2024, just go to the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. We'll take a break, and uh, we'll be back uh, with more of our program for this week.
welcome back. And uh, that was the voice of the Supreme. Motown Sound, uh, the Supreme, uh, with the 1967 uh, classic hit, Reflections. And you're listening to uh, the Pan-African Journal, special uh, worldwide uh, radio broadcast um, for today, uh, which is uh, Friday, uh, January the 5th. 2024, and uh, we are broadcasting uh, from our studios in uh, downtown Detroit. And uh, right now we want to turn to, uh, in another 10 days, the 95th birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. uh, will take place in a federally recognized holiday inside the United States on Monday, January 15th, 2024. Uh, Right now, we want to listen uh, to a segment uh, uh, that features Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his struggle against the U.S. genocidal war in Vietnam. Uh, This is from January the 14th of 1968, uh, less than three months uh, prior uh, to his martyrdom. And here in the city of Detroit, we'll be commemorating um, the 21st uh, annual uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. rally in March. On January the 15th, beginning at noon, it will be held at the St. Matthew St. Joseph's Episcopal Church, located at 8850 Woodward Avenue at Holbrook. Uh, Featured speakers uh, will include uh, Sean Fain, uh, president of the UAW International, and uh, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib uh, of the 12th District. Let's listen uh, to this segment uh, on Dr. King and his struggle against the Vietnam War. Uh, This was recorded at Santa Rita, uh, a prison facility uh, where uh, singer Joan Baez and her mother were being held for their anti-war activity. The following program has been provided by the Pacifica Radio Archives Preservation and Access Project. For more information, call 1-800-735-0230 or log on to PacificaRadioArchives.org. This is Colin Edwards. Santa Rita Prison is not a fortress-like structure. There are no high stone walls around it. It's more like a prisoner-of-war camp, the type you have undoubtedly seen in films like The Iron Horse and Stalag 11, or is it Stalag 15? Anyway, there it is, the acres of long, low wooden huts, barrack-style, spread over the landscape for, it seems, a mile alongside a desolate stretch of freeway and stretching back about a quarter mile into the countryside. And as you drive by, you see the wooden watchtowers at intervals between the nearest line of huts and the barbed wire fence. I haven't seen anyone manning these towers at the times I've driven by, but they reinforce the prisoner-of-war camp feeling of the place, and mental pictures of Nazi soldiers with machine guns and searchlights ready to gun down prisoners running for the wire come automatically to one. This is over-dramatizing the atmosphere of the place, of course, but I've gathered that what goes on inside sometimes bears parallels with prisoner-of-war camps, or perhaps one should say camps for political prisoners in totalitarian states, for prisoners of war do have certain rights guaranteed them under the Geneva Conventions that are not granted to political prisoners. It was to see three of the prisoners at Santa Rita, Joan Baez, her mother, 
and Ira Sanpo, incarcerated there for 45 days for their non-violent sit-in at the Oakland Induction Center late last month, that a very distinguished visitor appeared on Sunday afternoon, January 14th, a day of heavy, low, gray clouds and scatterings of rain. Despite this rain, a large crowd of sympathizers, a couple of hundred, I'd say, had assembled about 50 yards down the narrow approach road from the entrance gate to greet Dr. Martin Luther King and demonstrate their support for Miss Baez and her fellow prisoners. After spending over an hour inside, Dr. King spoke to the vigilers outside. Let me say how happy I am to see each of you here today, and I want to commend you for your willingness to engage in this vigil and stand in the midst of this rather inclement weather to express your support for all of those who have been arrested as a result of their courageous actions resisting the tragic, unfair, and unjust draft system of our nation. I've just had the opportunity of visiting my very dear friend, uh, Joan Baez, her mother, and uh, our dear friend, Ira Sandpearl. And they all send their greetings and their best wishes to you. And I might say they are in good spirits. You know, when you go to jail for a righteous cause, uh, you can accept the inconveniences of jail with a kind of inner sense of calm and an inner sense of peace. And this is the way they are accepting that experience. They have supported us in a very real way in our struggle for civil rights, our struggle for freedom and human dignity all across the South. And I decided that in a way or rather as an expression of my appreciation for what they are doing for the peace movement and for what they have done for the civil rights movement, I would take time out of my schedule to come out uh, to see them, to visit them and let them know that they have our absolute support. And I might say that I see these two struggles as one struggle. There can be... There can be no justice without peace, and there can be no peace without justice. Uh, people ask me from time to time, aren't you getting out of your field? Aren't you supposed to be working in civil rights? And they go on to say the two issues are not to be mixed. And my only answer is that I have been working too long and too hard now against segregated uh, public accommodations to end up at this stage of my life segregating my moral concern. For I believe absolutely that justice is indivisible and injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Hey. 
And I want to make it very clear that I'm going to continue with all of my might, with all of my energy, and with all of my action to oppose that abominable, evil, unjust war in Vietnam. Now let me say this, I see some very dangerous trends developing in our country, trends of oppression and uh, repression and suppression, and I see a definite move on the part of the government to go all out now to silence dissenters and to try to crush the draft resistance movement. Now we cannot allow this to happen, and we've got to make it clear. We've got to make it clear that to indict a Dr. Spock or to indict a Bill Coffin and the other courageous souls that have been indicted will mean indicting all of us if they think that this draft resistance movement is going to be stopped. And let us continue to work passionately and unrelentingly to end this cruel and senseless war in Vietnam. I don't have to go through all of the things that this war is doing to corrode the values of our nation. Suffice, suffice it to say that the war in Vietnam has all but torn up the Geneva Accord. It has strengthened the military-industrial complex of our nation. It has exacerbated the tensions between continents and races. And the war in Vietnam has placed our country in the position of being against the self-determination of the Vietnamese people. And then it has played havoc with our domestic destinies. And I can never forget the fact that we spend about $500,000 to kill every enemy soldier in Vietnam, and we spend only about $53 a year for every individual who is categorized as poverty-stricken in our so-called war against poverty, which isn't even a good skirmish against poverty. And I say that that is a great need, a need for a revolution of values. And I say to you in conclusion, and I say to you in conclusion that we must continue to stand up and we must continue to follow the dictates of our conscience, even if that means breaking unjust laws. Henry David Thoreau said in his essay on civil disobedience that non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. And I do not plan to cooperate with evil at any point. Somebody said to me not too long ago, uh, Dr. King, don't you think you're hurting your leadership? 
by taking a stand against the war in Vietnam, aren't people uh, who once respected you going to lose respect for you? And aren't you hurting the budget of your organization? And I had to look at that person and say, I'm sorry, sir, you don't know me wrong by looking at the budget of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference or by taking a Gallup poll of the majority opinion. Ultimately, a genuine leader is not a sucher for consensus, but he's a molder of consensus. And on some positions, Howard is asked the question, is it safe? Expediency asks the question, is it politic? Vanity asks, the question, is it popular? But conscience asks, the question, is it right? And there comes a time when one must take a position that is neither safe, nor politic, nor popular, but he must do it because conscience tells him it is right. And that is where I stand today, and that is where I hope you will continue to stand so that we can speed up the day when justice will roll down like waters all over the world and righteousness like a mighty stream. And we will speed up the day when men will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks and nations will not rise up against nations, neither will they study war anymore. And I close by saying, as we sing it in the old Negro spiritual, I ain't going to study war no more. Find out something about his visit. We had a very. Can you hear? Yeah, yeah. Go in the music. Uh huh. We had a very fruitful visit with Miss Baez. The visit was mainly to express our support to her for uh, her courage, for her willingness to stand up and face suffering and sacrifice, in order to make it clear that position of our administration is totally wrong in Vietnam, and in order to make it clear that war should cease and people of goodwill must work to bring about an end to war everywhere. Do you anticipate any attempt to get her out before her time is served? Uh, no, they don't know about that. Uh, they are supposed to be getting out on the 2nd of February, I think they said, uh, and they have no knowledge of any attempt to get her out any earlier than that. Dr. King, could you explain uh, what you're quoted as saying, that you're now for escalated nonviolence? What did you mean by that? Well, I made it very clear that uh, the anger of our ghettos uh, is very extensive, the bitterness is very deep, and uh, in order to give that understandable anger, a, a kind of creative and constructive channel of expression. We've got to escalate nonviolence to the point that we make it much more militant, much more demanding, and much more insistent, even if it takes on the dimensions of civil disobedience. I feel that uh, nonviolence must now uh, be strong enough to be an alternative to riots on the one hand, 
but also an alternative to uh, to timid supplications for justice on the other. Dr. King, will you clarify once and for all the reported statement that you have said that Adam Clayton Powell is the only man who can now save the nation? Well, I tell you, there's so much confusion about what Mr. Powell said concerning my statements to him and my visit with him that I would rather not make a comment until I've talked uh, with him because the press has uh, reported uh, certain things uh, attributed to Mr. Powell that I never said to him. And I don't want to get in a public debate uh, with him about what I said to him. I'd rather talk with him about that privately. Well, in your version, what is your version of this conversation? Did you say anything like that to him? I don't know anything about uh, any statement like that made to Mr. Powell. What did you uh, say, sir? Oh, we talked about many things. I was there to get a few days rest and uh, spent a good deal of my time in Bimini talking with Mr. Powell. I didn't go there for that specific purpose, but after getting there and running into him, I did talk with him a good deal. We talked about the movement. We talked about, and I mean the civil rights movement, we talked about uh, his unjust dismissal from Congress, and I do think that was a grave injustice, not only a slap in the face of Mr. Powell, but to Negro people generally. Uh, but some of the other things that he stated, uh, at least as I have uh, seen them in the press, are things that I never said, and I don't want to uh, uh, say anything about it until I've talked with him, because it could have been misquoted. Did you invite him to speak in Atlanta? Yes, we did talk about that. I, when he told me he was coming to California, uh, I mentioned to him that it would be a good thing for him to stop and preach in my pulpit in Atlanta, but we didn't get a chance to get back to that uh, so that uh, it didn't work out. Um, the King's sins, that was the reason for coming to Bimini, that you had pressed nonviolence past the breaking point and uh, uh, you had alienated the masses, the black masses. Well, there again, I wouldn't want to get in a debate about this. I did not go to Bimini to confess any sins. I went to get some much-needed rest that the doctor demanded that I get, and I just ran into him in the process. I am more committed to nonviolence than I have ever been in my life because I think it's the only answer to this very difficult problem. Uh, I have uh, seen, seen statements where Mr. Powell said I was ready to discard nonviolence, and I don't know where in the world he could have gotten that impression. As far as alienating the masses of Negro people, I think we would have to look at uh, what is happening and uh, face the fact that polls reveal uh, both the Harris poll and a recent poll by Fortune magazine that from 88 to 90 percent of the Negro people of America feel that my approach to the problem is the best answer. Fortune just came out last week where 88 percent of the people felt that my approach was the best approach in dealing with the problem and 92 said they trusted my leadership more than anybody else. So I think that would be the answer rather than saying that I've alienated the masses of people. Dr. Dr. King. I'm going right back to Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> I'll be there in a two-day workshop with my staff and give them their marching orders, so to speak, to go into 15 communities where we will be mobilizing people by the thousands for massive mobilization in Washington on the question of jobs and income, and we plan, plan to begin in April. But we will be meeting for two days, tomorrow and Tuesday, 
going through our whole program and techniques of organization and action so that they can move into these communities and get the work. Well, we're going to start out with a core group of 3,000, and we're going to spend at least two months carrying them through the discipline of nonviolence. We feel that if you can get the initial group committed to uh, tactical nonviolence at least, nonviolence can be as contagious as violence. The main thing is to get your core group committed, and this is why we're going to spend at least two months training them in the discipline of nonviolence. How long will you stay in Washington, D.C., sir? Well, we're going to stay until something is done about these conditions, these intolerable conditions. We're going to have certain specific demands, which we're working on now, and we're going to stay in Washington until we get an answer that we consider a meaningful, good faith, forthright answer to deal with these problems. Do you think there will be violence in Chicago this summer during the Democratic Convention there? I can't say. Uh, there are groups speaking of having demonstrations around the convention, which I think is a good idea, uh, but I haven't had a chance to meet with any of the groups so far, and uh, I would hope that the, the, the demonstrations will be large, numerically strong, in order to be effective, but I would also hope that they would be nonviolent in character. Do you intend to make a statement about uh, Mr. Harris uh, the, of Stanford, who intends to uh, uh, refuse to be inducted in the draft Wednesday, uh, Dr. King? I'm not aware of that. I, I would have to look into that. Dr. Is he a student? Or a no, he was a student yeah, by the president of Stanford, Stanford, and he resigned to organize a group that I was telling you about the resistance. Yeah, oh, I see. Cooperative selective service. Well, certainly I always support this kind of act of conscience I have strongly uh, endorsed. Uh, I have strongly encouraged young men who come to me for advice uh, to refuse to be drafted and be conscientious objectors if they feel that this war is unjust as I happen to feel. What was the reaction of the people inside the you mean uh, Ms. Baez? Or? Did you, you talk to Ms. Baez? Yes, I talked to both uh, Ms. Baez and Mrs. Baez's mother, and to Joan, uh, I mean Ira Sandpearl. And as I said, they uh, their spirits are very high. They feel that they are where they... David Harris is joining Dr. King here now. David. I do not feel that they are doing anything. When do they feel that the jail experience is just an expression of our witness? They made that very clear. Are going to do that? Will they join you in Washington? Well, I'm sure they will. They've already been in some discussions with us on it, and I'm sure we'll have that support both morally and physically in Washington. I'm sorry, we have a meeting in. Oh, this is Mr. Harris. So glad to meet you. Oh, yes. You could make it Wednesday morning if you're still out here. Oh, I'm so sorry. We've got to leave shortly for Atlanta. I have a two-day meeting there. But you know I'll be with you and my moral support and, and my concern. And I appreciate your courage. Right. Give my love to everyone in Atlanta. Wow. Uh, you know Dr. Bob Brown there at yeah. uh, Stanford? He's a very good friend of mine. He's doing Mr. Kemp, good things. Would you advise me to bear my draft card? I feel that if you, what do you feel about the war in Vietnam, yeah, the war in Well, I feel that you should definitely, if you feel that it's unjust, that you should definitely refuse to serve.
and I think that's Dr. King, just before you leave, the only following would you like to hold an old friend? Oh, yes. Uh-huh. I didn't know. I didn't know it was here. Glad to see you. This is the groundswell. Yes, I know. This is a great groundswell of sentiment for you to run for... Oh, I'm sorry, I couldn't get that question in. Dr. King has to leave. He's gotten into the car and is now driving away. But he did meet David Harris. And he held the Hiroshima Peace Torch. That informal press conference got rather far away from the object of the vigil and of Dr. King's visit. That is, moral support for the pacifists held in Santa Rita. So let me bring you now a recording I made earlier that afternoon with Paula Bluder, one of the many people, beside Dr. King, who went in hoping to see friends among the imprisoned anti-war demonstrators. What's the situation? Is everyone able to uh, see visitors? Uh, on the women's side, the visits are going as normal. But those of us who went to visit people on the men's side stood in line for an hour and then were finally told that the male demonstrators would not be allowed visitors today. Not even those on the approved list? That's correct, that nobody would. In actual fact, about three or four people did get in, uh, apparently by mistake, when they got the cards uh, confused. But their, their official answer, if there was one, was that the people who really have to decide this aren't here today, but that the men haven't really been very cooperative, and so we're not going to let them have their visitors today. So they were punished today, in a way... I don't know. Uh, yeah, they were really restricted from this privilege of receiving visitors. Well, they haven't had uh, any visiting privileges at all before. But when the main portion of the demonstrators were taken out, finished their sentences, they moved the men who were left into Greystone, which is the maximum security area, in which men traditionally get regular mail privileges and visiting privileges. They're simply locked up two in a cell all the time. That all the demonstrators who remain now are in Greystone, are they then? I think that Including that's Including Mr. Sandpo. Yes, that's true. I know I was in, and I think that all of the demonstrators, with perhaps one or two exceptions, were moved into the maximum security area. That was Paula Bluder outside the entrance gate to Santa Rita, Sunday afternoon, January 14th. And this is Colin Edwards. Welcome back. And that was a rare archival report on uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s visit to Santa Rita, California, uh, to visit anti-draft uh, protesters who had been arrested and imprisoned uh, in January on January 14th of 1968. As I mentioned earlier, coming up in uh, 10 days on January 15th of 2024, the Detroit uh, Martin Luther King Committee uh, will host its 21st annual rally in March in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King, his 95th uh, birthday. King, who was martyred in 1968 on April 4th, has uh, a federal holiday in honor of him uh, in the United States. You're listening to the Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast uh, for uh, today, uh, Friday, January 5th, 2024, and we're broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. We'll take a break, and we'll be back uh, with our concluding segment uh, for our program today.
Curtis Mayfield uh, with the track and title, We Gotta Have Peace. And uh, right now we want to move into uh, a segment uh, featuring the Secretary General of the Hezbollah Resistance Movement of Lebanon, Saeed uh, Sheikh Saeed uh, Hassan Nasrallah, speaking uh, earlier today uh, at a memorial uh, for a Lebanese uh, Hezbollah uh, leader. And, uh, of course, he discusses uh, other issues involving the struggle against uh, Zionist Israel, uh, the United States, and their attempt uh, to dominate and control uh, the entire uh, West Asia region. Let's listen uh, to uh, this address uh, that uh, took place uh, earlier today in Beirut, uh, Lebanon. ففاضت على جنبات المعارج عطاء وصرخة دوت في فناء الزمان وكان رجع هيهات من الشيد كلمة العائلة مالك ياغي هي الفن Prayers to Muhammad and his, uh, his household. Reading the verse from the Holy Quran. Peace be upon the Prophet Muhammad. And his, all his household, peace be upon them all. The of Islam, uh, the Secretary General, Hassan Nasrullah, all of you, all the representing all, everybody, I would like to, pay, uh, to say peace be upon you all. Our condolences. The Quran says, some of them believers, they are true to what they have promised. Some of them who have died and who are the ones who are waiting. And nobody can change that. It's sorrowful to have lost you. You have been in the conscious of all those where you were truly lost. You have died. The saying goodbyes to those who are good, the Islamic resistance movement, and 
you have the responsibility. Fifty years, the first steps and the difficult decisions, the choices. You are young, but you are strong in your work. First years of his Salim, he was 15 years old. He was with Imam Sadr to fight deprivation and to fight Israel. He went to Khomeini like one of the disciples when he did to the Prophet. His pages were written of those who are loyal that he will be the first to give his promise to Khamenei for his of course, again, for Abbas al-Musawi and Hussein and the other brothers of yours who are martyrs, you are always ready to, um, to challenge the impossible. The, one of the grandsons of uh, Zahra is Hassan Nasrullah. Rare are the days which talks about some uh, tales. In 2023, your funeral went to wherever you want, close to your Lord. This is where the beginning of the ends met and the sky were adorned with all the names Abbas al-Musawi, Ali Hab, Hamad Mughni, Qasim Sulaiman, Jamal Jafar, Hamad Jaiji, Nassar Nassar, Faraj Balluq, Hassan Laqis, and Radhi al-Musawi, and names and other names next to your grave we were there were many people there you are going to be raised up in the sky Abu Salim he was loyal to God and he met that present uh, and they are true to their words. These are the ones that are truthful and these are the ones who are pious. Jihad is a very difficult duty 
and open to only those special people. I would, I would say it's one of them. He has taken some leader, leadership positions and various positions. From him, we will start, and from him to end, we will end soon. His hand was very clear to help those who are the vulnerable and to help everybody who is asking for help. And he would always um, help anybody who is uh, oppressed. He was in a training camp and those who love to die to the access or to the battlefield. First battle Lucy Sreira and the martyr Ahmed Talib. They met, his voice was very, very loud uh, in the weddings of those martyrs. He was in the heart of the party. He knew the past. Under the absolute agency of Khamenei, in July 93, he was very confident. Uh, victory. And then 1996, uh, the graves of Ra. Also, he knew about it in 1996. He was moving from Balabak and, and other places and I went to other villages and to the south, which is the far. He did not bother any place. He would go to any place. He was in the south and Baqar, in the north, and in the western part. And in Beirut, he was a founder, a supporter of the Islamic resistance and to the families of the martyrs. He had the most effective weapon. He was keeping to the will of Abbas al-Musawi's will. He was facing all these conspiracies. In July 2006, he carried on working. Then the infidels, and of course the illness did not make him weaker, but he was strong from the thought of but he has regenerated power from the belief to fight any of those uh, in Syria to keep stability and to strengthen the unity in Bikar. Last days of his death, of his life. The, the, he says the, the victory is coming and that Israel is going to be, uh, disappear and then we'll have Palestine 
He spent his morning uh, reading the Quran and visiting uh, Zahra's um, tomb. He is now the death of those who have got true hearts. If the whole world forgotten it, forgotten you, and to recall your name and your silence. Abu Salim went to the soldier of loyalty and agency, and Allah, I hope that he will be one of your soldiers and loyal people. He went away. He has left a rich legacy, not war, war, uh, money and um, name, but the love of people, his small family, his mother. Don't be deceived by the worldly life. But he is, has got that path, the path also is vulnerable, vulnerable, vulnerable. Hassan Nasrallah, he is an extension of Khamenei. Um, uh, the Aqsa will be uh, liberated. Revered Hasanullah, and now we are united together for all of us. Our voice, your word is your stand. Answer us, you are the victory called, you have the victory. Uh, we have all loyalty. We are your right hand. hand. We will sacrifice ourselves for you. On behalf of my family, thank uh, all the leadership of Hezbollah and all of those who are condoling to us, whether they are calling us or uh, have actually participated in this um, condolences event and we would like to thank you and goodbye. To you, our homeland, Eagerness is seen in your eyes when you point in your fingers. The hearts will fold onto the sides of the sky. When you go down with your hands, it will have, the land will have that kind of pride. We like your stands. For you, we love silence. 
if you use your hand right, the right hand, we will be supporting you. We will support when we see you. All the our concerns will go away. We go to the victory, to victory. Behind you, soldiers, from your insight, we will have exaltation. Tell us what you have written. We will not hear from you except victory. We haven't seen victory. And the loss of the enemies. Your words are true. And your hands are signs of the war. And you have the flag of victory. The Secretary General of and the Prefect of uh, Islam, Satan and the name of Allah, most compassionate and most merciful, praise be to the Muhammad Prophet and his, all his household and his companions and all Prophet's messengers. Peace be upon you all. God says in his Quran They say peaceful The angels will tell them peaceful Enter the palace because of what you've done Obey God and the Prophet will be one of those who have been close to the prophets and messengers and good people. And they are the best companions. And we that you are Hajj, the lost, uh, the dearest and the nearest. You were believer in God and prophet and those who are believers. I renew my condolences to all of you for the attendance, for those in Bikaa, for all of those uh, who are following our path, uh, the sons of uh, the resistance movement, in particular to the family of the uh, And I thank them for what we have heard about them what we know that it is always their constant love and loyalty and dedication. I would like to, at the beginning of this work, I would renew our condolences to the martyrs in Karman, the visitors to the 
Qasim Suleiman's military. We condolence, uh, give condolences to our Khamenei, to the Iranian people, to the officials in the uh, Islamic Republic, and to the families of those martyrs. And their blood will not go unnoticed. Uh, we have, uh, ISIS has actually uh, adopted this operation. I will go back to ISIS in this speech, but I would like give, I hope that they will get the martyrs level in, in heaven. Also to the Iraqi uh, brothers, to the leaders of Iraq, to the Iraqi people, to the resistance movement in Iraq, to the uh, popular mobilization units, Abu Taqwa, Mishtaq Saidi, the leader, the one who was noted with him in the aggression, US, direct US attack on their car when they were going inside the popular mobilization units. I will come back to that. My speech as usual in parts. Uh, the event, the part is about the southern uh, border in Lebanon and north of the occupied Palestine. We have this opportunity to talk about this matter and a part is about the latest in Palestine and the final word to the uh, families of those who are displaced to the injured, to the fighters uh, in Lebanon. First, when we talk about, about our brother, Hamad Yaghi, when we knew him, we know him as Abu Salim, as a title. I would not say Al-Hajj. Even though he's Abu Hussain, he was Abu Salim, known as that. I know him, physical, uh, close, close one. I know him, enough second hand. We knew, I knew him when we were young. I was about 1978. I was about 1819. He was, Abu Salim was 1920. And from the beginning, first hours, we have had a brotherhood uh, kind of relationship and uh, friendliness and um, total trust. Uh, from the beginning of his youth, Abu Salim was a fighter and he activist and revolutionary and activist and in his own uh, environment starting from Balabak. He was, he was the inspire, inspiring force. Always you look for, for an idol. The Imam Musa Sadr and his two uh, companions were their, his inspiration. Acknowledgement, I want to mention it, uh, this introduction about him. When I went into Balabak, 
Islamic group or school. He is the master of our resistance in Al-Baq. Islamic school. We have all the popular communication in Bika, in particular on the popular level as well as the organizational level. Within the framework, we was very active that time, particular in Amal movement. As you know, coordination between Abbas al-Musawi the head of the school and Abu Hisham, the brother who was the main one, main official in Amal movement at that time. There was a coordination, uh, some cultural uh, activity within the towns. This is how Abu Salim, we had this relationship. We met in Balabak the first time. He was the coordinator. And the group included, they have become martyrs, like Hassan Laqis. And some we have lost, just uh, Brother Salah. Uh, those who were young and have become uh, officials in Amal movement before 1982 and after 82 in Hezbollah. In that time, uh, there was the relation has started. We stayed together and we worked together from 1978. Uh, that means more than 40 years. This kind of companionship. We were used to be going to towns. We still 1978-79. We used to go uh, to the towns at night in one car with Abu Salim, driven by one of our brothers. I hope that he's still alive. And we used to go from one town to another. Our, his responsibility was to explain the political analysis and for me to give the religious and cultural uh, lecture. And we reached to 1982. And we were accountable for taking responsibility. In the first area, a circle in Bika'a, Abu Salim, he was the organization official, and myself, I was a cultural uh, officer. In 1981, he was the organization of the whole regional area of Amal movement, and I was the political official in Amal. In this stage, we had a relationship between him and Abbas al-Masui. From his relationship with spiritual one, with Musa Sadr, an emotional and cultural one, with Abbas al-Musawi, there was a, a, a relationship between him and Muhammad Baqir. This is the same 
with all the young people and he started to be a lover of Muhammad al-Baqir when he died the Imam Abu Salim was very affected I remember me and the other Baalbaq youngs he would be in his own voice he used to repeat that well-known poem at that time we say hello who is who who is actually giving you this you saved us you have sworn not to die not to sleep to the end of the, the poem he was supporting with the uh, Iranian revolution and heard Sadr's words follow Khomeini as he been uh, absorbed with Islam and this is the case with Abu Salim and every son or every brother and sister with, with Abbas Musawi with Muhammad Baqir Imam this path would reach definitely to the leadership of Khomeini historically and divinely 1982 Abu Salim has actually followed or joined Hezbollah and the path of Hezbollah and he has he was as an individual not as an official he was fighter like many others who has joined Hezbollah and did not look to their uh, organization position that was behind them in the other formation before that. And they have immersed in this and they have given all the rest of their lives to her. To it. Uh, some of them went martyr and some of them died and the path is still carrying on God will choose the end of each person and we are supposed to be together the beginning of formations of Hezbollah to form the first consultatory uh, council called the leadership of Biqa'ah all the names and the, the namings all the they still say the leadership of the region of Riqa'ah till even though the others have changed Abu Salim used to be of course official and we worked together in that founding, founding time or phase where he took over so he was nominated later or elected in the consultory uh, council in Hezbollah at that time, after, after Abbas al-Musawi was elected, I was the head of the executive council. He was vice chair. 
our destiny was all the time to be together, shoulder to shoulder. After Abbas Musawi was killed, I was given a new task. Abu Salim was the chair of the executive council. He was going back to Al-Biqa'ah. Because Abu Salim, this is a phenomenon. Most of our brothers who are officials in Biqa'ah, no matter how many times they go to Beirut, they stay in Bikaa. After years, he comes back to be uh, in charge of Bikaa and also parliamentarian at This responsibility is taken it three times more. And he was, the last one was the longest, but he was always the leader, supporter, and aid, and certain to take responsibility in any position. Over all this knowledge of him and knowing him as a friend, as comrade, as companion, as being loyal and dedicated, and Persevered and poker. He is uh, able to take responsibility. He is always don't mind spilling his blood. He is. He wants to die. He was very serving to everybody. He, was. he loves the fighters and the martyrs. He was very close to or loved to Khomeini. But the love, the biggest for Salim is to, to the Imam Al-Mahdi, the awaiting Imam, the night waiting for this spiritual leader the best talk is about Al-Mahdi and about coming when it comes, when he is coming back. All this love and this infatuation, insight of Abu Salim produce this kind of steadfastness and this strength in this when he took that uh, position in, in the most difficult, in the sedition in 1997, and you know what I mean by the sedition. In the 1997, he was the official who would stand with his head high to keep the unity in the car about his own audience, about his power, his moral. Uh, his steadfastness, his strength, that uh, in, the, in those hardest years. In July 4, he was our official in Bukha. What Bukha has actually suffered and how many martyrs of, it, of, it, of civilians and women and children and Houses that's been demolished, demolished and destroyed, and in face of the infidels in Syria. 
in the difficult times. His presence in the Bikar was very big. Most of his youth, uh, his youth was spent in the Bikar in terms of people, in terms of his history, and they are, they deserve all this loyalty from Abu Salim, from, from all of us. Because people in Abu in Bikar were, they were those who are dedicated in all phases with Musa Sadr, behold he comes back uh, with Abbas Musawi and other martyrs with Hezbollah in particular from 19, 2019, uh, 1982 till now they were not they were very happy to give and offer any kind of sacrifice. Today, we find the towns of Bikah and the families and the tribes in every day as in the southern uh, towns, also the suburbs. They will attend the funerals of the martyrs with big attendance. They insist on this following this task of pride and liberty, no matter how many sacrifices were given. This is one of my, of, this one of the evidence or testimony of Hajj Abu Rest in peace. And I hope that they are patient, the family of his They should that. Now I move from this reality, from this personality, what, it has, what he has lived, to the reality of the past today, or the process today. One of its front with, for more than 90 days, I will move the Lebanese border with the enemy, the north occupied Palestine. I've written, as you see, so that I can get all the content with the time. 8th October, we went with uh, fighting against the enemy in the south. With We've mentioned some of the motives. We could go back to them. For more than 100 kilometers from Shaba'a to the sea, up to today, more than 90 days. We talk about this border front. It's not being covered well. Media. During this phase, all the sites on the border were targeted. Many of the are in the back, and many of the settlements, Israeli settlements, in response to the targeting civilians or military ones who went to the settlements. Very statistical. The resistance movement, 670 operations, 
دون باي بعض الايام بلغ عدد العمليات 23 عمليه حسب المعدل الوسطي من 6 الى 7 عمليات عسكريه 6 to 7 average operations المواقع الحدوديه التي تم استهدافها border sites 48 border only one that means no sites but been attacked many times 494 targets been hit also the back uh, sites well been the, those who uh, there are 50 points in the border where Israelis, uh, where Israeli soldiers were there it was targeted the settlements 17 uh, settlements were targeted and they are still targeted. In the first phase, only the border ones, because the army was there in the sites, the Israelis. Many, many, many uh, people were killed. Uh, I will come back to the numbers. They were targeted by, not only by the directed rockets, it will hit a specific place. Uh, it's like tanks um, uh, or machinery or um, they can get, get the rocket go into the window of an observatory point. Very specific. This is the first phase which has been targeted densely and they were targeting some of the technical reception in all sides. You are hitting the aerials, they don't know or they are ignorant. Uh, they don't know, it's better than ignorance. We are not hitting the actual coast or bollard. We are hitting these equipment when they are being renewed. Uh, they, are, they are estimated to be costing, costing millions of dollars. This is not only cover parts of the south of Lebanon, but it's covering most of Lebanon. It's been destroyed. Even sometimes they come, they cannot go up to the site or to the bollards which has been uh, sarcastically looked at. They will bring all these um, um, winches and they will put something intelligent, intelligent area. They will hit it. The Israeli soldiers escaped to two places, to the settlement which has been emptied of people and to the side, to the surrounding of the sites. They were close to their own sites. That is why they're staying doing that, because they think that the resistance movement of Palestinian ones will attack these sites or occupy these ones which will be attacked. And this is very likely. They could not 
مجموعات الحواسة وتبقى القوات guarding the, 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 the site. We get good information about these forces when you hear in the media that the resistance have actually hit some um, enemy soldiers in a certain sites. It is based on very um, based on filming um, and our brothers will target these sites they have given good results in the sites they might hide in the some refuges but in other places they are fired many of the films about targeting the and there were many uh, tanks and machinery were targeted all alongside the whole force and even within the sight of the fighters all the tanks and machinery are hiding and official uh, officers and soldiers you have to look for them so that you can talk a large part of these sites have been uh, when our people have actually hit all these technical uh, sites uh, they, it has affected their surveillance, so they have tried to use the satellite and the U.S. satellite and some of the drones. Also, one of the results, this confrontation ongoing for three months, the killing and injuring some of its official, uh, officers and soldiers. It's very dreary to them. That's why they were forced to be going to the areas that I've talked about. From the beginning of the battle in our south, the southern border, it has has very quiet coverage about this. Resistance have actually given 60, uh, 90 um, films. Sometimes um, machinery and tent with soldiers and the rocket will go into it and the house inside which soldiers uh, are hit by a rocket or a house or a tent hit in front of our own eyes we find some people killed and injured but the enemy does not admit to any of them this is part of their policy this is keeping quiet about the border it's 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 but now it's talking about some of the numbers, but these are not real numbers for those who are fatalities and injured. They are saying that they, some of the experts are saying that the real numbers are... There is, 
جيش العدو يتحدث بالإجمال يقول تم تحويل نحن Our friends, our brothers, were trying through internet and our available media from the from the uh, Ministry of Health of the enemy. Eight uh, hospitals, hospitals. They are saying there are two thousand injured. These eight hospitals have got this, and they are saying the officials of these hospitals that some of them are really in a serious condition. We can estimate how many are killed. We understand that the uh, enemy being silent about, about our border, it could have many reasons. It's part of the psychological war. If the enemy has admit that many killed and many injured, it will affect. When it keeps quiet about about injured and killed, it's trying to to. Touch the morals of this border and open the point of discussing about this border. If you knew about the uh, human losses and its killers, uh, and its uh, those killed and injured, and machinery and tanks, you would not have asked about what's the point of fighting in this on this border. And again, another reason, so that it won't be embarrassed in front of the Israeli society, what's happening in the southern border, one of the former that it is uh, really, uh, this is very, very sad about this, so that it will not Make him embarrassing him it to go into a war that's going to be very costly and very serious indeed. It will make an explosion to the whole region. It has to keep quiet about it so that it would reduce the 
burden of uh, responsibility of this with the results of the southern Lebanon are the those who displaced from the settlements. settlements. We did not target uh, civilian, uh, civilians. Uh, we put underline um, under civilians because all of these are occupiers. So we were targeting military targets. Inside the settlement, we were targeting only the official uh, officers and if we hit the houses, it was a response to the civilians being targeted and our, on our side. But because of the panic of those settlers, Many have moved away. The enemy is keeping less numbers for the same reason. 30 to 40, now 60 to 70. 100 settlers, 100,000 settlers have actually moved away. 2030, they have left this settlement in the of Palestine occupied. One of the councillors talked about 300,000 placement and it will affect the economy and the agriculture and industry. And this is pressure on the enemy government. Those who are displaced for a week or two, they are used to, they would not actually be displaced. We are the ones who are displaced in the south and west of Baqa. They will not be displaced. In all the wars, they did not displace or did not have any displacement. This kind of displacement will have effect moral and psychological, political and security uh, effects on the government. Of the now I go about a question as we talk about the northern uh, border. They ask about the point of why did you open this border? Why are you fighting in this front? Why are you giving all these martyrs? Why, why do the ones who are in the, close to the front line um, see this kind of malicious, uh, destruction? Good question. We are accountable to answer this kind of question. From 1982, uh, uh, we have the logic, uh, convincing, and evidence, uh, reality. We are not taking them with enthusiasm and motives and being detached from reality. We are saying the, reason, the aim of this um, front in, here or in Iraq and Yemen. There are two things. The first one is to pressure on the enemy's uh, government and drain the enemy in terms of army and society so it will stop the aggression on Gaza, from Syria, from Lebanon, from Iraq, from anyone, so that we pressure this, because the, the main aim is to stop the aggression on Gaza. 
And the second item is to reduce the pressure on the Gaza Strip. What he said, Benjamin, uh, to get rid of Hamas, he wants to fight. If, if you want, if you press, if you press on that government and that army of the enemy, that will be a burden. On These two will they achieve, be achieved from the Lebanese border? Yes. In the Lebanese border or front, when the enemy was worried, or was forced so that it will be developed or moved to a, an, a wide war because the uh, infiltrating of fighters and now 100,000 to more 120,000 many brigades on the border. You've actually made them not go to forced to bring its banks, uh, its tanks, and most of half of the uh, sea force and the air force and the land force. Uh, we talk about the military spokesman, which is uh, official, he says, when he was explaining why some of the host hostages were killed by the Israeli fire. Uh, the reason is that our fight, our forces, are fi our brigades are fighting there two months, and and they are very tired. Is that an evidence? If he hasn't got 120,000 in the southern Lebanon. He could actually exchange them or exchange them with the ones who are tired. So they will not uh, be tired and make such kind of uh, mistakes. These are serious um, errors and they're killing some of the hostages and they are in the friendly fires as they're calling. They are killing each other because of the tiredness and fear. This is an evidence. And when in the latest, they have to withdraw some of the brigades in the festivities from the West Bank, not from the north of Palestine, but from the West Bank. And they have protested that you're taking these to Gaza. These are not well trained. How come you take them to, to fight in Gaza? This is on the one hand. What, what's happening in the front, the number of those killed and injured in demolishing machinery and tanks that are displaced, this will give pressure or have pressure on the government of the enemy. The displaced issue, as I said before, from 19... 48. Some Lebanese, uh, Lebanese politicians who are either they are ignorant or they are trying to be or appear to be ignorant. They haven't read the history of Lebanon. They haven't read the, the history of Lebanon, not all the, uh, the history of the world. 
From the 1948, Israel is the one who's attacking in southern Lebanon and going into incursions into uh, villages. And the uh, Lebanese uh, army and uh, committing these massacres. From the 1948, they did only the first security line. This is a history which is well known. He said from the 1948 till 1967, there is nothing. There was nothing in Israel. Even at school, they did not study it. Read it. Uh, the seven people that were always displaced. Now, the Israeli occupier is the one who is being displaced. It has got something to do with the morality. The security band was always on the other side. The line is on five three kilos inside Lebanon and five and they were talking about south of the Libertani River. The Israelian, Israelis are saying the first time the entity are building a security line inside Palestine, occupied Palestine, up to seven kilo, kilometers. The occupied were displaced and the army, you are not there are many that are not working. This will form a pressure on the enemy government. I would say, talk to these colonizers and settlers, and they are giving, having their calls, and they are demanding these displaced settlers to fight or to be decisive militarily with Lebanon. This is incorrect uh, analysis uh, or choice. Uh, wrong choice is you are the ones who will pay most because in these settlements, if you were really looking for a solution, the solution is that the settlers of the north and they are displaced to their government to demand to stop the aggression on Gaza, to demand the stop, stop the aggression on Gaza. Any other choice, it will not give to the settlers of the north uh, occupied Palestine the more, more destruction and more blood. This is the solution with regards to our front. It's about the stand of Netanyahu, press woman was asking Netanyahu, press woman was asking him, uh, is Hezbollah being deterred or not? Look at this silly answer. Did you hear about the tent? King farms. Where is that tent? That was Netanyahu's answer. Where is that tent? This is uh, ignorance, uh, silliness, absurdity. He's talking about tent. Talk to me about 48 sides of government being um, demolished. 
17 been settled, settlements been attacked and many gatherings been talk about your army your officers and soldiers who are hiding like mice in the bordering uh, area the resistance that is going to do it do that many operations a day which hits this kind of number of rockets is being deterred. The tent is part of the past. There is a true war. Even though there is a kind of feeling in it in this frontier or front. Um, one of the resu results of this war, which is happening in the south of southern Lebanon is to adjust the balance of, of deterrence. In the past, what's happening is unprecedented since 1948. Never the resistance initiated ever or any armed force as it did in the last three months. In the past, there was one operation of the 670, one of them, uh, the enemy would come and hit in, in the heart of Lebanon. You remember that? 760 operations, and they are heavy, and he wants to stay within the rules of, of engagement. After this huge number of um, human losses and is shaking these certain idea. This opens a new opportunity for Lebanon so that hopefully it will be able to to stop the aggression on Gaza, that Lebanon will manage to liberate its land from Nakura, Ghajar, to Shaba, and the hills. We are on a, in a historic, we have a historic opportunity to liberate, complete Lebanese, all the Lebanese Land and a true operation and we fix uh, the balance so that it will not incur our skies or our radar skies which of this opportunity was opened by by standing by Gaza and standing by those who are oppressed in Gaza. Any talk, any negotiation, any talk will not be, will not get a result except after to stop, to stop aggression, aggression against Gaza. Here, of course, I have to remind of those who have written many articles and have got many symposiums and dialogues. They talked about Hezbollah and that resistance is no longer there and Hezbollah is um, normalizing with Israel 
and its uh, war with Israel, the 90 days, and the martyrs, and the fighters, and the injured are telling these ones, where are their claims? They have been unfairly alligating. We move to the third one, which is what happened in the southern suburb happened, which I talked to uh, a couple of days ago, but I want to confirm it or affirm it. We have some martyrs uh, in Syria by the air raids Israeli over the past few months. Most of our martyrs in Syria, and they are those from Bekaa, and some of our martyrs were killed uh, by ISIS, but we, are, we have only, we have a balance or equilibrium. If they've killed somebody from Lebanon, has changed, uh, the balance has changed because of the whole front is, is, is open. You are hitting on many in the south. But if you are targeting in Lebanon, in the southern suburb, we cannot accept this kind of balance that was created before. Killing Sheikh Saleh and my brother, your brother, and he was very true friend. He's killing. We were very close and good understanding. And his uh, brothers in Hamas and in the southern suburb, I would say it will not be without any, with no response and no punitive action. We did not use in the, in the right time and the right place. The decision is in the battlefield. The battlefield is going to be responding. It's not going to wait. It's, this response is coming definitely and inevitably. Welcome back. And uh, that was a address uh, delivered uh, earlier today uh, by Sheikh uh, Saeed Hassan Nasrallah, the Secretary General of uh, the Hezbollah Resistance Movement uh, in southern Lebanon. And that's going to conclude uh, our program for today. You've been listening to the Pan-African Journal Special Worldwide Radio Broadcast for Friday, January the 5th, uh, 2024. And if you'd like to have access uh, to this program, uh, all you need to do is go to our website at the Pan-African Radio Network, and that's at uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. If you'd like to read the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, all you need to do uh, is go uh, to our website, and that is at uh, panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And uh, we're going to close out uh, the program uh, with uh, Detroit's own 
Kenny Burrell, along with uh, John Coltrane, um, a combination uh, that was recorded in 1962. This is Abayomi Azikawe signing off, and have a beautiful week.
Thank you.